This is episode 21 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's podcast, we're looking at articles that deal with essentials for prepping with a special needs child, 10 ways to use your socks during an emergency, and 7 things to remember about cooking in an SHTF scenario. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, this is our Monday podcast. I hope you had a great weekend. We had a very productive weekend. On Friday, you got to go out to eat with uh, Justin and his wife. Justin runs SheepdogMan.com. And, and Justin did the, the graphics for the Prepper Website podcast. So I'm uh, very grateful for that. So we're able to go and... And eat and talk preparedness, and and we, and we just spent a lot of time at the restaurant. Uh, by the time we knew it, it was like, man, we we realized didn't, we didn't realize how late it was. So uh, it was fun just to, to to talk and do that. Saturday, got to go up to the country to my dad's place, and with my father-in-law, he had a had a deer feeder that he wanted to go ahead and, and an extra deer feeder, and he wanted to put it up there. So we did. Was very excited because uh, theoretically he's going to be able to hunt from the back porch, right? So. He'll be able to wake up, make his coffee. This is what he was saying. He'll be able to wake up, make his coffee, stay in his pajamas and his house shoes, and shoot from the back porch. So I know some people are like, man, that's not really hunting, but I don't know. It, you know, We're going to get the meat. So uh, he's looking forward to that, and, and it's really, really early to set the feeder up and, and to throw out the, the corn, but uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. We, we were walking the the property line and we saw so many the grass has grown a little bit more than we uh than we really wanted it to grow but we were able to to see the trails of the deer just coming and they're all over the place it, it was it was pretty amazing we're just watching and they've had they they've been doing it for so long i mean it, there's defined trails it, i mean you could walk in them very very easily so very excited about that sunday we did uh or today's sunday we did the uh, we did church and uh, had a good time there. Rested a little bit, so we're ready for the week. So let's go ahead and get started on these uh, articles that we have for today. Uh, the first one is, and, and I'm going to read this one. It's a it's a short article. I'm going to read it, and then I, wanna, I really I really picked this article because I wanted to talk a little bit about it uh, at the end. So this one comes to the prep to us from the Prepper Journal. It's six essentials for prepping with a special needs child. Okay. Um, and this is a guest. I'm going to go ahead and just say this is a guest post. Having a child with special needs calls for extra effort and care. You're required to learn a lot, practice an incredible amount of patience, and get to know the comfort level of your young ones. These are testing times, but it is your own loved ones at the other corner. It is about being prepared and having your things sorted out well in advance of need and also adequate quantities enough to last. You can just not go haphazardly with these things because it is someone else's life that is right there in your hands. Imagine having someone around with one or more disorders that include being nonverbal, delayed development, epilepsy prone, and an ever-growing diet. In a situation where everything is going down the tubes, there is hope. The amazing, the amazing and joyful personalities these young ones are, are, are inspiring. The fact is that these guys are fighters, surviving more in his short life than most people have to in a lifetime. So prepping for a child with special needs requires some serious thought and some creativity. Read the following article for some tips. Inventory of needs. 
And all it all starts with some good observation. It is not always that your young ones will be speaking, telling you what they need. He may not even know what he needs. Hence, it is recommended that you observe. Make a list of things that you consider are essential and can bring comfort. You can have a paper list and stick it on your refrigerator or save one on your mobile or tablet. This can include routine medications, first aid box, additional clothing, accessories, including diapers, wipes, gloves, wheelchair, stander, walker, etc. Medical supplies like feeding tube supplies, bags, catheters, etc. Food supplements. Communication. There's nothing better than communicating and learning about your child's needs alongside with making him understand what is good and what is bad and sharing your prepping plans with him. This talking exercise also helps us understand how much the child is grasping and sometimes that is more than our expectation. The subject of these talks can be as ordinary as fire escape plans, our family meeting place, why we're stocking certain things, and everything else one can think of. This is crucial. Sometimes simply explaining to the child which floor he lives on and how injurious it can become if he or she jumps out of a window. Advanced preparation saves a lot. Let's say you are living in a high-rise building or probably somewhere in in, in the open and are prone to fire or earthquakes. At a time when disaster strikes, you can be or cannot be prepared for the emergency. And if you are, prepare for the most likely event first. I live in the middle of nowhere surrounded by miles of timber in every direction. Wildfire is the most likely event I should prep for. The odds of having a fire come through my land are greater than any other natural disaster. What event is most likely in your area? If you haven't yet started getting prepared, prep for that event first. Think through it in your mind and start gathering what you'll need. Start by getting a three-day supply built up of all your loved ones' essentials. You can look at this like a special bug-out bag, specifically catered to their needs to the needs of your child. It's a baby step, but an important one. Medical equipment is heavy, it's bulky, and it certainly does more, doesn't move quietly through the woods. Depending on your child's mobility, leaving home might be very difficult, if not impossible. When you're making plans for a crisis, you might find it makes more sense to stay put. That way, you don't have to leave all of your equipment and medical stockpiles behind. If we don't absolutely have to leave the farm, we're planning on staying here. Storing the right things. It is not about just stockpiling everything that you get your hands on. It is about stockpiling the right things and making sure that your supplies are always refilled and machines recalibrated. There are ways that you can stockpile the medications your child needs. This again involves keeping a track of history and making a list. Make sure that when you are stockpiling, there are no expired medications in your cupboard. Okay, just side note. You want to double check those medications, but I would not be throwing away expired medication. Uh, you definitely want to be using those in a you know first in first out situation. But uh, really, you know, double check those medications. I just would not throw them out. Uh, let's continue on. An essential to stock, an essential to stock are baby wipes. These are very much needed, and at times, running short of these can cause real time havoc. Learn alternatives to medication. Before you can think about replacing a medication, you have to know what it does. Ensure that you know the purpose behind every drug your loved one takes. You can see if there are over-the-counter medications that might work in a pinch as an alternative. When you can no longer pick up medications, take an inventory of everything you have and see how many doses that is. Then, work backwards to slowly cut the doses down. That way, instead of going from a full dose to nothing, when you run out, you already have a plan in place for stepping off the med. All right, so I, I wanted to 
I pulled this this article. It's a short one. There's not a whole whole lot to it, but I did want to point out just to uh, to highlight the importance of prepping with special needs because I know that there's a lot of parents out there who are are preppers and they're concerned. I mean, there is real concern. So being that that I was an educator on the campus, I'm, I'm no longer on the campus. I'm in the district office, and I'm uh, you know I'm supporting software now that runs the curriculum for the district. Uh, but I, I was very very much involved with our life skills class in the uh, you know on my campus, and so I was in charge of that. And uh, supported that greatly. And there, we had students from, you know, the thing about public education, I know there's a lot of people listening that have different ideas about public education. I totally understand that. Um, the thing about public education is you educate everyone. And, and that's one thing when, um, I know I'm going off on a rabbit trail here, but when they compare us to other countries, it's not really fair because other countries get to dictate who they, you know, you get to a certain place in your in your education in other countries and they tell you hey you're you're smart enough to go into college you're going to go this route you are no you're not smart enough you're going to go into you know this trade route you are you're just going to learn how to take out the trash you know so there's you, you have that here in America we educate every child from the one who is incarcerated all the way down to the one who is nonverbal nonmobile non the only thing they can do is like blink their eyes and so I have a lot of experience in working with those students because in the life skills classroom you had students that are just because of their cognition uh, ability able to you know to uh, not not being able to be in the same classrooms as say like a third grader they had they were the same age you can look at them everything was they looked like a third grader but in their mind you know they their mental capacity it, it wasn't there and so it it's very hard to get into a situation like that so i mean you're talking about doctors and tests and all those kinds of things but and so we have those students all the way from, down to the ones who were uh, you know, a lot of autism there, and then we had a lot of students who were the nonverbal, the non-mobile type uh, students that were on feeding tubes. Uh, we had students that, when uh, the allergy, like pollen, and pollen's really bad right now, and and you know, I've been talking about it, and you can probably hear it in my, you know, in my voice. Sometimes I'm stopped up. You know, we had students that wouldn't come to school during high pollen days because the pollen would completely mess up their system and it would send them, um, you know, they, so they would miss for a couple of days when the pollen was really, really bad. But if they didn't and they came to school, I mean, they could be out for months because it would just mess up their system so bad. And so th there is such a, a wide range here. So I, I want to kind of put this out there because if you are a parent with special needs. This article didn't go into a lot of detail. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear um, throughout the years of Prepper website. I have, I know I've linked to articles that dealt with special needs and I actually, I'll try to find it and see if it's in my tag cloud. I'll, I'll uh, link that in the um, uh, episode 21 show notes. But, uh, you know, it's something, something we, we'd love to be able to hear from you if you're in preparedness because there are people that are coming into preparedness with special needs students or special needs kids and they are I mean they don't know where to go you know they're starting to look at uh, man I need electricity to run this this uh, this specific uh, 
instrument to or this tool to be able to you know suck the phlegm out of my child's throat because if not they're going to exact you know they're going they're going to die they're not going to be able to breathe and, and and we have this thing and we have this thing and and they they need you know they need electricity and so they're they're thinking about those kind of things they're wondering how they're going to handle medication so if you if you are prepping with a special needs child I'd love for you to to you know contact me you know give me a little write up put something together I I'll, I'll, I'll format it into an article and put it up there for for people to read because I think that's very important. The other side of that is that there's going to there's people in and if you are a webmaster or even if you are a preparedness uh, you're you've been in preparedness but uh, we're seeing a lot of older people. I mean the, the society we, the boomer generation, right? They're getting older and older, and there's a lot of concern about you know their preparedness. They're concerned. They see the writing on the wall. They're they're the kids of the generation that grew up. You know their parents were in in the Great Depression, so they heard all the stories. They had all the the parents had all the little weird quirks because their parents went through the Great Depression, and so you know they remember all of that. And so here they are. They're up in age. And they're starting to like, hey, I'm not as fit as I was. I'm not. I can't move like I I can move. I can't, uh, you know, uh, you know, carry as much as I used to carry. And so I see that that's going to be a very very big need in the preparedness community because there's going to be people out there like I I know I need to get prepared. I'm older. I don't know where to go, what to turn to, how you know who to turn to. I, I need some information here. And so uh, you know they're on budgets and and all those kinds of things. So definitely, uh, I'd love to hear from you as well if you are an older person. And you have, uh, you know, experience in preparedness, and you've thought through some of these things, because there's people out there. I'm sure that they're just they're concerned, and they're they they might not have been able to think through this. They might have not been able to take it to you know to the area where they they uh, need to be able to uh, or could get to, to to feel like when things go crazy that there's going to be that there's going to be something for them there that they're just not going to you know just hold up in their house and that's it that's the end right so the and, and lastly what i want to say to those of us who are out there who are prepping who are um doing what we we can do keep in mind these people keep in mind parents who have special needs kids keep in mind those people around you who are older um you know we want to make sure that uh the the idea is like you know when when the poop hits the fan I'm gonna lock down and I'm not going to I'm not you know it's just me my four no more and that's it and I don't know if that's really the place to be and I know that's probably my pastor side coming out that's probably my my uh, you know my Christian side coming out I know there's a lot of Christians out there who have different viewpoints on 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 that as well it's like no hey we prepared and and that's it. I have this feeling there's a lot of Christians out there who, who when the poop hits the fan, all of a sudden they throw on their camouflage and they turn into Rambo, and then all this, you know, it's like they forget that they're Christians. And so uh, there's a lot of people out there who aren't Christians, but they also, you know, they care about people. So keep that in mind, you know, that that we need to be, the, you know, keeping an eye out on on people who can use a helping hand. And so I know I've gone really far on that, and and. Uh, you know, uh, chase some rabbit trails. So hopefully, I didn't go too too long on that for you. But uh, just just keep those things in mind. Um, you know, we we cannot lose our humanity 
when the poop hits the fan. Uh, you know, we need to we need to be able to uh, you know look out for people as as much as possible, right? As much as you can, as much as you you are able to do. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next article. This comes to us from Prepper's Will. This is kind of a fun article. Uh, Ten ways to use your socks during an emergency. Um, kind of you know, some things that maybe you thought of, maybe some things that you didn't think of. Um, but anyway, so let's go ahead and start reading this one. Your bug out bag should contain all the necessary items to move survival po- to make survival possible. As a general rule, you should also have a change of clothes to withstand the changing weather. Carrying one or two pairs of socks can prove quite useful, and there are multiple ways you can use your socks during an emergency. Emergency preparedness requires a lot of work and improvisation to make survival possible. If you have the right mindset, you can find alternative uses for every item you're carrying with you. I often recommend packing items that have multiple uses and learn how to repurpose the ones you have. This is good practice that helps train your mind to think out of the ordinary. You cannot gain survival knowledge without experimenting out in the real world. Just buying and hoarding stuff will do you no good if you can't maximize the the uses of every single item you stored. There are ways you can use your socks during an emergency situation. You can do so regardless if you get lost in the wild or if you want to escape the concrete jungle. How you use your socks during an emergency situation is all up to your imagination. Here are just a few of my examples to show you that everything is possible if you put your mind into it. How to use your socks during an emergency. Warm your hands. In a cold environment, you can wear an extra pair of socks like mittens. It will help you prevent frostbite and restore critical dexterity to handle life-saving tools. If your glove gets wet or if you lose them, you can use your socks as a last resort. Making a fire with cold and wet hands is not easy. Your numb fingers need to get warm in order to properly use a fire-starting tool. Obtain water. There are many ways to get many ways you can get water if you know how to use your socks during an emergency. You could fill a sock with mud or wet clay and then wring out every drop of moisture into a cup. You can use your socks to sop up dew or water from inaccessible places such as tree trunks or rock cracks. And speaking of water, you can even improvise a water filter from a sock to remove sediment. Improvise a dead man's anchor. I've seen this trick during one of my hiking trips in Norway. One of the guys accompanying us had a hard time securing his shelter due to strong winds. He filled a sock with snow, tied his guy line to it, and buried it about a foot deep. He then packed snow on top to create an anchor. As a bonus tip, he told us this technique worked well with sand and dirt too. Dress a wound. If you plan to use your socks during an, in an emergency as a healing aid, I recommend doing so with a clean pair. Definitely, right? Um... A clean sock can be used to control severe bleeding and for pretty much everything you can think of that might need a clean bandage. Even more, you can use your socks to, to make do splinting. Improvised traction. A lot of hikers don't plan for the weather and they don't bring spare gear. They assume that a universal pair of boots is all they need. Since the sun is up, hiking through difficult terrain without proper gear is dangerous in my opinion. To prevent slipping on slick ice or wet rocks, pull a sock over the toe of your boot. The sock fibers adhere to the slippery surface and improve traction. I recommend doing so with wool socks since they are stickier than nylon or polyester materials. Improvise a carrying bag. You may have to use your socks during an emergency situation to transport things. It may seem like a poor substitute for a backpack, but it will work. You can use your socks to carry food you manage to forage or other essentials. Tie the sock to your belt and you won't have to worry about carrying the entire bag. 
This is a good solution when you have to explore the campsite area and you don't have a spare backpack. Make a weapon. Stuff a sock with stones to create a rough outline and impro improvise a swinging club. This can be used for hunting or self-defense purposes. You can try clubbing small game if you don't have any other hunting option. When I visited London in 2008 on a business trip, I saw a bar fight that left me speechless. A guy filled his sock with a snooker ball and started hitting three guys that were harassing him. He did some serious damage before the bodyguards could stop him. As you can see, you can, you can use your socks during an emergency to defend yourself. Make cordage. You can use your socks during an emergency as improvised cordage. You can do pretty much everything using your socks as long as you know how to tie the right knot for the job. If the length of your cordage is too short, you can cut the socks and tie them together to make a bigger rope. Process acorns. If you have to forage for food in the wilderness, you can add these wild nuts to your diet. They are a good source of calories in a survival situation, but there is an issue you have to deal with. Acorns contain tannic acid and it tastes terrible, not to mention that it will make you sick to your stomach. To deal with this problem, fill your socks with crushed acorn nuts, remove the shells, tie it off and secure it in a creek. The flowing water will remove the acid in two or three days. If you have a fire source and a pot, you can speed the process by boiling the nuts in hot water. Improvise a signaling flag. You can use your socks during an emergency situation to signal for help. Getting lost in the wilderness is a traumatic experience and people should know how to help rescue teams reach them faster. If you have a bright colored pair of socks, you can tie each sock up in a tree to signal rescue parties. Even more, you can cut pieces from your socks and attach them to branches to leave the marked trail. This will help you get back to your campsite without getting lost, but it will also help others pinpoint your location and limit the searching area. Final thoughts. There are many other ways to use your socks during an emergency. You could use fibers from your socks as tinder. You can even improvise snares for small games using nylon socks. There is no limit to what you can do with this common item if you have the proper imagination in your situation forces you to be resourceful. If you have any other suggestions or, or how to use your socks during an emergency, let us know using the comment section. All right, so some good ideas there if you've never really thought about that. And definitely I think the bigger point is you want to have items or you, when you're carrying items with you, you want to make sure that they're, you can use them in multiple different ways. And so having that in the back of your mind and then also being able to think and process through those kinds of things, having that critical thinking ability, I think it's very, very important. All right. This next article comes to us from Plan and Prepared. It's entitled Seven Things to Remember About Cooking in SHTF Scenario. All right. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Just about every prepper has stored some food and water in case of a major disaster. That's one of the first things you began to stockpile, right? But did you ever stop to consider ways and means of cooking your food in a serious SHTF scenario? Unless you have a month or more worth of MREs, food preparation is going to become a very important part of your survival. In a long-term grid-down situation, your ability to cook will be restricted. No more microwaves or electric stoves. Even with something like a gas grill, your fuel source won't be infinite. And as such, you might need to consider what you would do in that type of situation. So when making your contingency cooking plans, here are some things you might want to consider. Be careful what you burn as a heat source. I think that if we experience a long-term grid-down situation, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to have all kinds of problems because they don't know what they can and cannot burn for fuel. There is a long list of things you absolutely should not burn. 
This is even more important if you are using something like a fireplace or a wood stove inside your home. Treated wood should not be burned. Doing so will release chemicals like chromium and arsenic into the air that you breathe and into the food you are cooking. Treated wood is typically green, though as it ages it turns gray. But wooden structures such as decks, exterior trim, siding, railings, etc. are almost always treated, so don't use them. Things like particle board and plywood are also no good. The chemicals used to make these products can be very toxic when burned. Other things in it, like glues, can cause the fire to burn a lot hotter, which might exceed the temperature setting on your wood stove or fireplace. Don't burn wood that has been painted or stained. Until the late 1970s, paint contained lead, and until 1990, most paints contained mercury. Enough said. Even with paint or stain from today, burning this wood will release toxic chemicals into the air. This is, of course, no bueno. Burning things like colored paper can also be dangerous. The same goes for items that have colored ink on them. Things like magazines, empty pizza boxes, styrofoam cups, etc. can release harmful carcinogens. A majority of wood pallets today have been treated with a flame retardant chemical. Burning this will release these chemicals and could cause problems, so I'd skip wooden pallets as well. Essentially, the best wood I would burn is aged hardwood at least six months. This wood should be dry as wet wood can produce more smoke than heat and can also cause your, you problems with your chimney or wood stove. Be aware of potential problems with chimneys and wood stoves. As I said, all of the above items doubly apply to indoor fireplaces and wood stoves, but chimneys and fireplaces have additional dangers that an outdoor fire pit does not. The first danger is called wood tar creosote. According to Wikipedia, wood tar creosote is, quote, Wood tar creosote is a colorless to yellowish, greasy liquid with a smoky odor, produces a sooty flame when burned, and has a burned taste. It is non-buoyant in water with a specific gravity of 1.037 to 1.087, retains flu flu fluidity at a very low temperature, and boils at 205 to 225 degrees Celsius. End quote. The reason many people prefer their hamburger steaks, etc., cooked on a charcoal grill, grill as opposed to a gas grill is because the charcoal releases wood tar creosote. This gives the meat its smoky flavor. For grilling meat, creosote is a good thing, but in chimneys and wood stoves, creosote can be a huge hazard that can cause chimney, houses, chimney and house fires. While a long-term SHTF event is bad enough, a house fire during one is even worse. So if you have a chimney or wood stove, pay attention. More from Wikipedia. Quote, Burning wood and fossil fuels in the absence of adequate airflow, such as in an enclosed furnace or stove, causes incomplete combustion of the oils in the wood which are off-gassed as vo volatiles in the smoke. As the smoke rises through the chimney, it cools, causing water, carbon, and volatiles to condense on the inferior surfaces of the chimney flue. The black oily residue that builds up is referred to as creosote, which is similar in composition to the commercial products by the same name, but with a high content of carbon black. Over the course of seasons, creosote deposits can become several inches thick. This creates a compounding problem because the creosote deposits reduce the draft or airflow through the chimney, which increases the chances that the wood fire is not getting enough air for complete combustion. Since creosote is highly combustible, a thick accumulation creates a fire hazard. If a hot fire is built in the stove or fireplace and the air control left wide open, this may allow hot oxygen into the chimney where it comes in contact with the creosote which then ignites causing a chimney fire. 
Chimney fires often spread to the main building because the chimney gets so hot that it ignites any combustible material in direct contact with it, such as wood. The fire can also spread to the main building from sparks emitting from the chimney and landing on combustible roof surfaces. In order to properly maintain chimneys and heaters that burn wood or carbon-based fuels, the creosote buildup must be removed. Chimney sweeps perform this service for a fee. Between 2002 and 2004, 73% of heating fires and 27% of all residential fires in the United States were found to be caused by failure to clean out creosote buildup. End quote. This means you need to keep your chimney and or wood stove pipe clean. There is a creosote powder out there that helps to reduce the buildup of creosote. I'll be honest, I don't have a fireplace and so I have never used this powder, but I have heard good things about it and it has received some high reviews. In addition to avoiding wet wood, I'd also skip woods like cypress, pine, or firs in your chimney. These soft woods have a lot more oils in them that cause creosote. In a Teotihuacan event, you may not have much choice. Just be aware of potential problems these types of woods could cause. Okay, so little side note, just like all these articles, you'll want to go because they have things you can, uh, or links that you can click on. There's a firewood comparison chart here that looks at the type of wood like oak, maple, cherry, birch, pine, elm, and chestnut. And so you want to go take a look at it. It has the, the, you know, some pictures of logs and then a description of the wood. And, and there's also a lot of other links in these articles as well that you want to hit. Uh, you'll see as I continue reading on this one. The other thing to be aware of is not burning things like coal or charcoal in your chimney wood stove. These materials burn hotter than hard wood and could cause the temperature to exceed the safe limits of your chimney wood stove. Finally, don't burn trash or clothing in your firewood stove either. In addition to the chemical dangers, both can cause a lot more soot buildup, which in turn leads to chimney fires. Don't cook in galvanized metal containers. Galvanized metal is steel or iron dipped into metal zinc. Galvanizing is simply a coating of zinc over steel. Like paint, zinc protects the steel from rusting by forming a barrier between the steel and the environment. It also provides an electrochemical protection of the steel. Even if scratched, the oxidized zinc protects the steel surface. Zinc melts at 95 degrees Fahrenheit and vaporizes at 1650 degrees Fahrenheit. When zinc vaporizes, it reacts with the air to form zinc oxide. Zinc oxide is the substance that causes welders to experience metal flume fever. This is very similar to having flu-like symptoms. Metal fume fever is not fatal and will usually go away after a few days. However, in a really bad SHTF situation, the last thing you want to do is come down with metal fume fever. As such, a lot of your everyday pots and pans that you use in your oven and on your stove may not be what you want to use on an open flame. A cast iron Dutch oven is a great way to prepare food. For more information on cast iron cooking, click on the link provided. Here's a good link on cleaning your Dutch oven. Don't cook with open flames or gas grill in enclosed areas. Unless you have something like a well-ventilated stove, don't use things like open flame or gas grills in an enclosed area. Well, I guess you can if you don't care about the increased risk of starting a fire and the buildup of carbon monoxide, both of which can be fatal. But I'm guessing that as a prepper, avoiding fatal things is your number one priority. Hence, you will be avoiding doing this thing. In a group setting, have one person be a cook and server. The reason is simple. It's... It seriously reduces the risk of cross-contamination. In a serious long-term SHTF situation, airborne and bloodborne pathogens are going to be a lot more rampant than they are now, so protecting against them will become an absolute must. Having a single person prepare and serve the, metal, the meal will help to reduce the chances of cross-contamination. 
cleaning preparation and serving areas are important. And cleaning up afterwards with soap and then bleach are also things that you need to prioritize. We take this sort of thing for granted now, but if the grid is down for a long time, you cannot take them for granted then. Give serious consideration to solar thermal cooking. As I mentioned before, things like propane are a finite resource, so is lumber to a certain extent. You might live in a giant forest, but having to cut down and season wood for cooking is going to take a lot of time and burn a lot of calories. In a long-term grid-down event, you may not want to be excreting that much energy, especially if food stores are limited. This is where solar cooking could be a huge boon for you and your family group. Solar cookers use the sun to cook heat, your food, and or water. This means that it requires no fuel on your part. Even on cloudy days, you can still use a solar cooker to cook your food or boil your water. It will take longer though. The picture on the left is a solar oven that I store on my homestead. It is 24 by 15.5 by 20.5 inches, so there's a lot of room for cooking. I have... I also have the GoSun solar tube. It is not as large as a sun oven, but it is just as effective. I did a full review of this oven, which you can read by clicking here. With the GoSun, you don't need a bright sunny day to use it. It worked in cold and overcast conditions, albeit kind of slow. You could also use it indoors, putting it in a window that gets sunlight. This could be very important if you are trying to remain discreet in times of a raw or without rule of law situation. If you are a DIY type of person and want to build your own, here is a great link with lots of building options. Thermal cooking is the use of cooking devices that use thermal insulation to retain heat and cook food without the continuous use of fuel or other heat sources. I go into a lot more detail on this in my article, Off-Grid Cooking Method. Here is one I recommend. Click the link to read it. Beware of telltale signs of food preparation. For a majority of the population, especially in urban settings, our senses have been dulled. With our eyes glued to our cell phones and headphones on our ears, we miss quite a lot going on around us. But a week into Tiawaki, the end of the world as we know it, event, human senses will be on full alert. Smell. Science has proven that when we are hungry, our brain boosts the body's ability to smell. The more the body starves, the more sensitive the senses become. So today, you may not smell the fresh bread in the bakery until you open the bakery door, but after three or four days without anything to eat, you could smell the baking bread up to half a mile away. Things like solar ovens and thermal cookers help to reduce or even eliminate cooking odors. You can use solar ovens and thermal cookers inside of buildings, which further reduce odors. Cooking bags and aluminum foil also can reduce the odor that escapes into the air from cooking food. Freeze-dried food where you simply add hot water can also reduce the odor some. This is because you don't actually have to cook the food. Smoke. Odor is not the only giveaway. Smoke can be seen for miles. Smoke also has a distinctive scent as well, so you might consider cooking only at night. A Dakota fire hole helps to seriously reduce the visibility of your fire. The video below shows you how to do this. Even with chimney or wooden stoves, the smoke can still be seen for long distances. Also, keep in mind that unless your windows are completely blacked out, light from a chimney or wood stove could still be visible outside of your home. And to a hungry person during SHTF, a light on inside of a home means only one thing, dinner time. Trash. Trash and other food types debris is a dead giveaway that you have food. So while you might go through the trouble of blocking out your windows and only cooking at night, rolling your trash down to the curb will most likely make you a target. Burning your trash probably is not a wise choice, both for the problems I mentioned above and also for the attention it will attract. 
In a truly desperate situation, I would recommend burying it. It is not eco-friendly, obvious, but in an SHTF disaster, that will be the least of your worries. Bury it away from any gardens you have and well away from water sources. You will also want it deep enough that hungry animals don't break out their shovels to try and get themselves a meal. I also recommend keeping your meals small. It cooks faster, requires less fuel, it reduces waste, and you don't have to worry about your leftovers going bad. If you have other prepper cooking tips, leave leave them in the comments section below. Stay safe out there. Okay, so there are some comments there, people that were actually responding more to the, the zinc uh, zinc and galvanized steel information there. So definitely want to go check those. And a lot of good links where you can link to um, like the, those plans for solar cookers and, and uh, other, other thermal cookers and stuff like that. There's a rocket stove plan in there. So those are some definitely some, some good ideas and things to be thinking about. Um, I like the idea of having a camp stove and those little propane tanks. And just like the article said, I mean, those are not uh, infinite. I mean, they're, they're going to run out. So definitely, but storing those, make it so easy. I mean, if you have a gas, a gas stove, you have it easy. Definitely in an electrical, uh, you know, if the grid, da- grid is down and you have an electric, electric stove, you're going to have some issues. But I remember when we had Hurricane... Um, uh, Ike come through and we lost power for a couple of days. We still had our gas stove. Now, uh, we didn't want to use it too often. We were very uh, careful about when we used it because it did add a lot of heat to the house and we didn't you know that electricity wasn't on so that we could, you know, cool the house down. So that's something that you're going to want to consider. But having, you know, having a camp stove, uh, those little propane stoves, very important. I would also, I really like the solo stove. I did a solo stove review, and or those type of stoves. They're they're gasifier stoves. Um, they have that top uplift draft where uh, it really burns very. I mean, there's a way that you you're supposed to. Uh, actually, I'm going to link to that article there because I do talk a little bit about how you should start those stoves. A lot of times, people start those stoves, and, and what you see on YouTube is they start them like their hobo can stoves, and they just you know throw they make a fire in there and keep throwing wood on there. And what you want to do is you want to build up the wood inside the stove first and light it at the top. And so anyway, it creates gases and it burns very clean. It's very efficient. It will completely burn all the wood down to where you, all you have is ash at the very end. And so um, you can continue to feed it once you get it going. So I really, like I said, the solo stove is built very, very well. It is more expensive than some of the, the cheaper alternatives of those types of stoves, those backpacking type stoves that you can find out there. But it is very, very solid. I do have another one that I bought uh, around the time that I was sent the solo stove for a review. And I didn't try that one because I had the solo stove. But I am going to try it because I do want to see how it holds up uh, to the solo. But the solo stove is just built very, very uh, strong. I mean, it, it's it's a tough, it's a, it's a good one. All right, man, I have gone really long today for this uh, for this episode. So anyway, uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed this one. A lot to consider there. I know I went off on some tangents and some rabbit trails, but hopefully you don't mind too much of that. 
Uh, if you get a chance, come by the the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, and drop me a line in the comments of episode 21, or you know, just hit me up on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I love to, to connect with listeners out there and uh, find out how you're doing. And, and again, if you are a parent of special needs child or uh, an older prepper, and you have some insight into prepping, you know, send me send me some information so we can share it with other people, so other people can be informed as well. All right. So if you are uh, looking for more preparedness information, don't uh, forget to stop by PrepperWebsite.com. We link to great articles every single day. And so there's always an article out there that will uh, get you interested. And even if not, even if there's not a preparedness, you know, one of the other pages that is very, very popular is the Alternative News Hub. You can get that on that top right-hand corner of Prepper website. I have a couple of pages that that are, are just are fed from all over the internet, and uh, you know that alternative news. I mean, people are really they're not they're not taking it into a, they don't want to just you know listen to Fox News or definitely not CNN or MSNBC. You know they're they're looking for the alternative news that is going to give them some real information. So there's some good stuff over there as well as well as DIY frugal living. Uh, conspiracy if you're into, into that a lot of good stuff out there alright guys that's it for episode 21 thanks so much for listening and until next time stay prepped and aware peace